in this week's episode, I'm covering your question in a listener Q&A. Welcome to Bite Me, the show about edibles, where I help you take control of your high life. I'm your host and certified Ganger Marge, and I love helping cooks make safe and effective edibles at home. I'm so glad you're here, and thank you for joining me today. We have quite a few questions to cover in this episode. I'm wondering, depending on how long it takes, I may split this into two episodes, but we'll see how far I get. A lot of you have sent in some questions. I have been hanging on to them for a while. So I thought it was about time that I did another Q&A session with you folks. And this one is going to be, I can't even remember right now. This is either number five or six. I probably should have looked that up before I started. But before we get into it, the cannabis quote of the week. I got high and forgot I wasn't supposed to get high. Ricky Williams, NFL player and fellow Gangier. I also want to take a second to read a podcast review that came in recently, and it's entitled Five Out of Five, Great Show, and Host Has a Voice of an Angel. Great info for making your own edibles and a lot of knowledgeable guests. I could listen to her voice all day. And that came from Cade somewhere in Canada. Thank you, Cade, for that kind, kind review. I have never thought of myself as having the voice of an angel, but I'll take it. In fact, like most people, when I hear my own voice and I listen to these edits or the the podcast, sometimes I find it uh, the opposite of a voice of an angel. So I really appreciate those words. I think like most people, I have a hard time listening to my own voice. So you may wonder, why the hell would I pick podcasting as a profession? Well, I'm an audiophile and it certainly beats also having to deal with video as well. I don't know about you, but I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm not podcasting myself, and I'm always looking for new podcasts to listen to. So if you have any podcast recommendations, by all means, please send them in because I love finding out about new podcasts. And a lot of the times what I'll do is I'll just go through and cherry pick the episodes that I enjoy because I do listen to so many of them. And I find that I learn from listening to other hosts, how they're doing their shows, especially in independent, small independent podcasts, uh, podcasts like what I'm doing. Let's get into the listener Q&As. And like I said, I have quite a few of them. I've been hanging on to them for a while. People will send me in questions and I save them for these types of occasions so I can share the answers with you uh, more publicly because I'm sure if somebody sent in this question to me, there's somebody else out there who's probably been thinking something along the same lines. Now, of course, if you send in a question to me via email or speak pipe or whatever it is, whatever method that you're using, I'm not going to wait to do a listener Q&A to answer your question. I am going to get back to you. So if you have questions, people, please, by all means, send them to me. I'm not going to wait six months to answer them when I have enough questions to do an episode or whatever the case might be. I will respond relatively quickly. Unless you start sending me tons and tons of questions and I'm getting inundated with emails in my inbox, in which case I might take a little bit longer to get back to them. But that's not currently my problem. So don't worry about that. I do love getting listener questions and uh, you can send them by email, like I said, at bitemepodcast at fastmail.com. And if I read that off too quickly, it should be somewhere on the episode webpage or right within your podcast player, somewhere near the bottom. And you can also use the podcast hotline. That's right. You can send me a voice message and I can reply by voice message, which is kind of fun because sometimes it's interesting to hear people's voices. And who doesn't want to get a response from someone like me with the voice of an angel? So let's get into it. The first question that I received comes from, I wrote down here, newsletter subscriber. I think I did get this one 
It was anonymous. They didn't leave me. They didn't leave me a name, but that's okay. Hi, Marge. My question is about high potency infusions. I'm a heavy smoker and figure edibles are a good way to achieve a higher high other than smoking. My issue is that I have a very high tolerance and to make my recipe stronger for now is to add more infused coconut oil to the recipe. The results of using so much coconut oil aren't appetizing enough to eat three or four to get that higher dosage. Thought about a tincture or an RSO, but it is a, is it easy to find dose those options? And have you covered an RSO recipe? I use the, I use the sous vide method to decarb and infuse to minimize the smell. No other machines owned to infuse. I'm a home grower and use bud to infuse with, lowers and tops. I estimate it around 9% THC when I calculate also. I made a batch with my for my girlfriend with 10 milligram dose, perfect for her, minor 50. I've tried chocolate edibles of about 200 milligrams each. I took two and a half and I only looked high but didn't feel what I was expecting. Any advice on getting a much higher potency in my final product? Thanks, Marge, for all you do. Now, this was a pretty interesting question because, yes, it is possible to increase the potency of your edibles in a a variety of different ways because typically adding more coconut oil to a recipe probably isn't going to work the way you would expect because if a recipe calls for half a cup of coconut oil, adding more is just going to probably fuck up your recipe and you're not going to get the results that you want. And so the option of eating three or four isn't going to do the trick. Now you can also, you can of course make that coconut oil more potent and then you can handle it that way or just use the recipe as you normally would and eat more of whatever it is that you're, what you're making, the cookies for instance. But if you're finding that the batch of cookies that you make have a 10 milligram dose, even if you eat four or five, you're at about 50 milligrams. And it sounds like you do have a monster tolerance. Now I'm going to say this. You mentioned you're a heavy smoker. In many cases, being a heavy smoker is completely unrelated to having a high tolerance when it comes to edibles. That's the same goes for height, weight, uh, gender, Whatever the case might be, any of those factors that you would think would affect your tolerance does not. I have seen very large men who have very small tolerances to edibles, and I've seen tiny women who have these monstrous tolerances as well. So that I've seen it so often. And that's because your body is processing the cannabis in a much different way than when you're smoking it. It's processed by the liver and the enzymes, and there's a whole bunch of science behind it. But it's processed very differently. It is basically your individual biological makeup that's going to to determine your tolerance. Now, it just so happens that in this case, this heavy smoker does also have a monster tolerance. And the question that might need to be asked is, have you ever actually gotten high on edibles? Because if you're consuming 500 milligrams worth of chocolate and you're not getting the results you're looking for, there may be no limit to how much you could possibly eat. And unfortunately, you may fall into this category. Unfortunately, you may be one of those unlucky individuals that just doesn't get high from edibles. And they're out there. I know a couple people who could eat are the same thing, five, 600 milligrams and not feel a thing where mere mortals like myself, if I was to consume like th- something like that would probably get very sick. That would be way too high for me. I'd be high for I'd be uncomfortably high. 
And I'm sure a lot of you out there are nodding your head like, yep, that applies to me as well. Now you could try, if you wanted to continue with the experimentation, you could try adding the RSO into your infusions. And I do cover this topic in a couple of episodes. I had Chef Charlene Kaabe on the show and she was one of the first chefs that I kind of, I get maybe not the first chefs, but she was one of the first chefs I had on the show that talked specifically about using concentrates as a culinary ingredient to infuse butters and whatnot, because it was also not only more potent, but easier to to dose often. Because if you're buying the RSO or the, the FICO, then you could, you would have an idea, like a very precise idea of how potent your butter was going to turn out to be, and you can work from there. The other episode that I did was with my friend Chase, Temple Grower. We did a whole episode on making your own concentrates if you want to go that route. And you mentioned in your email that you're a home grower, so you might have the ability to do that if you have the proper space to make it, because there are some caveats with that because you are boiling down um, alcohol ba- an alcohol-based tincture to get this really potent cannabis oil and you have to have do it in a very well ventilated area, ideally outside. So if you have the ability to do something like that, then by all means, you have the plant material to make it. So it's certainly one way to increase the potency. The other thing that I wanted to mention is sous vide is a fantastic way to infuse and decarb. It is slower typically. I think I haven't done sous vide yet for the decarbing I have done it for infusions, but for decarbing, I haven't because I do have an ardent. And before that, I used to do it just in the oven. But I do have an Anova immersion circulator. If you're interested in one of those, I actually just bought another one. I'm super excited about it. And I'm going to be playing around with that because it is a way to decarb without a lot of smell. And the sous vide is a very interesting method of food preparation and cooking that a lot of chefs really like to use. And I am having an upcoming guest who's going to be coming on to talk about some sous vide. She has a new cookbook coming out as well, but you might want to check out her website. It's Monica Lowe and she is uh, has the website sous vide, sous vide. I'll make sure that I have it correct in the show notes for you. So you can check that out because she does a lot of Asian American cooking and uses the immersion circulator as a tool to make a lot of amazing, delicious infused recipes. So it is a great tool because not only can you use it for your infusions, unlike some of the other devices, like I have a magical butter machine as well and an ardent, both fantastic devices, pros and cons for each. Um, but the the main pro of the immersion circulator is that it's such a versatile kitchen tool that you can use it for a lot of other things beyond making your infusions. Whereas the magical butter machine and the ardent do tend to be a little more... Um, one use kind of thing. I mean, not too many people are, are infusing other things in their ardent beyond cannabis or or the same applies to the ardent, really. Still very useful devices if you're making a lot of edibles, but in my sous vide, I have made, I think I made duck fat. I infu- made infused duck fat. I have made butter, just regular butter. I made the butter. It was actually kind of a cool little project where I took the cream and did all the steps and ended up with the a half pound of butter and it was delicious cultured butter as they say so it was sort of a firm scratch cooking i've also used the sous vide to make really delicious caramel sauce from a, a sweet a can of sweetened condensed milk which is a tip that i got from the chef steps website that i also like to frequent from time to time 
And I can put that in the show notes for you as well. So, I mean, that's just scratches the surface. There's so many things you can do with it. And the one advantage with the sous vide, not that this is becoming an ad for sous vide cooking at all, but it's the precision, precision temperatures. You've probably heard numerous chefs on my show talking about our oven temperatures can range quite a bit. And sometimes that can affect the, the cooking. Sous vide cooking is very precise. You run a water bath, you heat it to the precise temperature, and it holds that temperature for the whole duration of cooking time. And there's no variances. So it's a very interesting way of cooking. So I guess to wrap this up, because I feel like uh, this is this answer is getting a little bit long, you really need to explore whether or not there's going to be any kind of potency that's going to get you the results that you want. And further from that, you can definitely use... Um, concentrated cannabis oils to increase the potency significantly of your infusions. Just be sure to label, label, label so that your girlfriend doesn't inadvertently eat something that was meant for you. So this next question comes from Steve and it is about using hash. So the person says, Steve says, I want to smoke the hash, but the missus is more about the edibles. Wondering if decarbed hash would preserve more of the terp flavor or does it all really come down to the decarb method? Last two batches of infusions we made, we decarbed with the Ardent. I think the coconut oil preserved more of the original butter aroma, but we made your ginger snap cookie recipe with the butter that we had decarbed in the Ardent. I think I could detect some of the terp flavor in the cookies, and the potency is noticeably better decarbing in the Ardent. So to answer your question, Steve, Decarbed hash, would it, de- would it preserve more of the terp flavor or does it come down to the decarb method? Now he mentions in here that he's using an ardent and if you haven't checked one of those out, they are great as well for containing the smell when you're decarbing because that's a big issue for a lot of people who are decarbing at home. If you've ever tried the oven method, which I used to do all the time and I would get complaints from, uh, I would get complaints. Let's just leave it at that. And it would make the house smell very fragrant, like toasted cannabis for usually quite some time. Like we're not just talking, it would, you know, the house wouldn't just air out in a half an hour. It would smell for a bit. And if you're in a climate like I am, where it's starting to get cooler out now at the time of this recording, we've shut the doors, we've got the windows closed, and we've turned on the heat a couple times already this year. It also means that smell, you can't just open the door and help it waft out or anything like that. So the Ardent is fantastic for that. And again, this is a precision tool. Much like the Anova sous vide immersion circulator, the Ardent was designed to provide very precise cooking for your decarb. Much more precise than an oven, once again. And I did have the CEO of Ardent on the show Oh, quite some time ago, maybe about a year ago now, Chanel Lindsay, she is doing amazing things in the cannabis space. They just came out with a really cool new Ardent Mini for people who are looking to travel. So if you're traveling somewhere and you want to be able to bring your, your Ardent with you and create edibles, no matter where you are, they have a smaller device that might be of use to some folks. But I'll link to the show notes and the episode that I did with her because it was all about the Ardent and the art of the decarb and doing it properly and what makes the ardent different from other methods of decarbing out there. And I have personally noticed that the decarb is more potent with use when I use an ardent. Now, the only thing I would I would say about decarbing hash is if you're going to use hash to infuse, you do still need to decarb it. You pretty much have to decarb everything you're going to use before you 
you infuse with it, whether it's hash or you're using the the crystal from the bottom of your grinder because you can use that in recipes or whatever the case might be, you do need to decarb it first. But as for preserving terp flavor, a lot of the times, by the time you do the decarb and the infusion and the baking, you might have a little bit of weed taste in there, but you're not really preserving any terps. These methods aren't really used for preserving terpenes. You are going to get a far more robust terpene profile when you're smoking that hash versus using it for edibles. So as long as you know that, go ahead, use the hash, because of course hash is a cannabis concentrate, so it's going to give you a more potent infusion in the end, because a lot of hashes, when I used to work in the dispensary, I would see them ranging from anywhere from 25%, somewhere, some, some of them were up to almost 70% THC. And of course, because of that, you can use a lot less. And it is definitely one way to make more potent infusions if that's the route you want to go. You're not going to really preserve a ton of the terp flavor, in my humble opinion. Now, Steve had a second question. I can't remember if this was in the same email or not, but he asked about the sous vide method once again. Have you tried the sous vide method for decarbing yet? Although being a lengthier process, wondering if the terp profile is better preserved thinking more of those pairing type dishes. I wonder if the terps that evaporate at lower temperatures recondense as the bag cools. Just thinking out loud. So that's a pretty interesting question. I haven't actually done the sous vide method for decarbing yet, even though I have an immersion circulator and I love it as I've already waxed poetic here. But I use the Ardent most often because you know, you just put all your plant material in the Ardent, you press some buttons and you walk away. And then you come back later and it's decarb for you. And you're like, oh, wow, that was delightful because there's no smell. No one's complaining. And Chris isn't walking in being like, oh my God, what are you doing in here? Or anything like that. I don't have to worry about people coming to the door. I mean, it's legal where I am, so it's not really that big of a deal, but still. So I haven't really tried it yet. Yes, it does take longer. So you can set a very precise temperature and... It's going to take, I think I've seen sometimes upwards of four hours to decarb at those temperatures. Now, the question of is the terp profile better preserved? Depending on the temperature you're decarbing it at, and I'm just going to double check a book that I have that talks a lot about the sous vide method for decarbing. So from this book that I have, this is actually one of the first cannabis cookbooks that I ever purchased called Bong Appetit. And it's actually a great book. I'll link to that one in the show notes. It's a fun book with a lot of interesting uh, recipes, everything from your classic, you know, cookies to what else do they have in here? Frozen coca pudding pops, honey rosemary ice cream, but they have longer projects as well. They have cannabis leaf chips. They have, what else, Uh, cannabis leaf pesto, corn biscuits, preserved lemons, which I've done before, green mac and cheese, that one looks good. Anyway, I've done a handful of the recipes from this book. There's always more to to learn, but they have a lot of really good information at the beginning of the book on on the information you might be interested in as far as preparing for the actual decarb and infusions if you're new to it. Not that you can't get that information right on my own website or through this podcast, you know, if you like the paper format, although I am working on creating some new resources over on the website to make it easier to find some of the information that people might be looking for if they're just getting started. But I digress. So the sous vide method here, they recommend 200, setting your sous vide cooker to 200 degrees. So that means you're going to set the, the water bath 
to 200 degrees. The water is going to be held at a 200 degree temperature for four to six hours. Now, typically when you're decarbing in the oven, the latest science on that, which I got from Chef Brandon Allen over at the Tricome Institute, who leads that cooking with cannabis course that I took that I really enjoyed. He, I think, was saying it was about 270 for 30 to 40 minutes. That was the latest science based on a whole bunch of experiments that they did to see how they were getting the most bang for their buck as far as the oven decarb went. And they took a whole bunch of factors into play. He really goes into depth in it within the course. And but that was his findings is at 270. So at 200 degrees, you probably are preserving more of the terpenes than you might with an oven decarb at 270. But there are a lot of terpenes that are quite volatile that will, so theoretically, it could be a way to a lot of a lot of the terpenes. I have a poster from Goldleaf because I have a lot of cannabis posters in my office hanging up because my office is all about weed. And the poster suggests that a lot of the main terpenes that you would think all have boiling points at over around 300. Now, you might preserve some of the terpenes within the decarb, but it is going to be cooking for four to six hours. You might want to simmer it for longer if you're using larger quantities. And again, if you're doing the same, using the same method of sous vide cooking to do the infusion, it's the same kind of thing. You're going to simmer it in the hot water for another four to six hours. You might preserve some of the terpenes, but I think by the time when it's all said and done, a lot of the times terpenes are evaporated during the whole process of decarb infusion and cooking. So from my understanding, doing any kind of edibles isn't really meant to preserve any kind of terp profile. But I appreciate those questions, Steve. Great questions. This next question comes from Susan. Hi, Marge. Can you please tell me if I need to decarb my AVB? or AVC, which stands for, for those of you who are unfamiliar, already vaped bud or already vaped cannabis, which you would get out of a a dry herb vaporizer. Or has the vaping process already decarbed it? Is there anything else I should know about substituting ABV for weed in a recipe? So that's a great question. And also for those of you out there who do like to consume cannabis via smoking, I always recommend the dry herb vaporizers. There's so many great ones out on the market. I use a couple myself. I really love the Dynavap and that is a extremely sturdy little analog vaporizer. So that one's interesting because you don't charge it or anything. You use a lighter, usually a butane style lighter to heat the cannabis and it clicks when it lets you know that it's at temperature. And it's so great because you're not going to have it run out of battery right in the middle of a session because that has happened to me before and you're just like, oh, now I got to charge it so that you never have to charge it. Now, of course, you could run out of liquid in your in your lighter. That is possible, but a lot of people might have more than one kicking around or you can usually see when that's about to happen and prepare for the inevitable. But also if you're really outdoorsy and you're going to be camping or hiking or doing all those things, it's a pretty great little device to bring with you when you're not going to be near an outlet anytime soon, or you just don't want to have to worry about bringing chargers, because that's the other thing. Sometimes I feel like if I'm going on away for a weekend or or something to that effect, sometimes it feels like I'm bringing so many damn chargers with me. It's like you got one for your phone and I have an Oura ring, so I'm bringing one for my Oura ring and I'm bringing one for the vaporizers and who knows what else. It just seems like sometimes there's so many chargers you have to bring for a short time away and this means one less thing to bring with you. So definitely worth looking into. Um, Also, I use a PAX, which is a really compact 
vaporizer that I love. And those are the two that I use. Now, there's so many on the market. I know a lot of people who swear by the Mighties and the Crafties. I forget who makes those ones. There's the Volcano Tabletop uh, vaporizers as well. There's so many of them out there. Just look for reviews and see what people you know are using. But if you're going to be smoking cannabis, the dry herb vaporizers obviously vaporize instead of combust. So in the end, what you have is this cannabis that you can take out of the vaporizer that has already been decarbed for you. And there's nothing else that you need to do to it. Now, is it going to be decarbed perfectly? Like if you'd use an ardent or maybe a sous vide method or frankly put it in your oven? Maybe not, but you're going to have enough activated cannabis material that it's worth keeping. And I've used it in cookies and other baked things plenty of times. I always save it. I mean, sometimes if I have to toss it because I'm not somewhere where I'm I've got a receptacle to hang on to that stuff, then, you know, whatever. But if you have the opportunity to save some of it, it's great because you can use it later. And I feel like that way you're getting more value for the cannabis that you have purchased or grown. If you've gone to the trouble to go and buy something somewhere or even more trouble to grow your own cannabis, why not stretch it as far as you can? So that's one of the things I really love about that. And for those of you who are new to vaporization, it tastes so good. It wasn't until I had tried a dry, dry herb vaporizer, people were always talking about, oh, Terpenes, 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 terpenes. People are talking about that a lot more these days because terpenes are what give the the scent, or sorry, the oh, I guess the scent, the flavor, the aroma of the cannabis. And people will be like, oh, it's it smells like grapes or it tastes like vanilla or all these things. And I used to be like, what the hell are these people talking about? I think this is all made up. I don't think it's true until I tried it. And I was like, holy shit, now I get it. I rarely smoke joints. I will sometimes if I'm doing like an official Gangier style assessment, although my preference is still always the dry herb vaporizer because I just really don't get the same taste and flavor out of a joint that I might, that I will from a vaporizer. And again, it's easier on my lungs and throat. Personally, I am an asthmatic and I find joints can be really harsh. And I'm also not a person with a huge tolerance when it comes to smoking or vaporizing, which means I don't need as much. And even if I roll, I can roll a pretty small joint, I suppose. But a lot of the times if I light up a joint or I purchase one in a store, I don't need the whole thing. I just need a few puffs and then I'm putting it out anyway. And when you go back to relight that joint, it, does, it never tastes as good. We all know this. So when you use the vaporization, you can really customize that dose that you want. And if you don't finish that bowl or, or whatever, then it's not really a big deal. You can always come back to it later. So, so many advantages to using the dry or using a dry herb vaporizer. And again, that already vaped cannabis is going to be ready to use in your recipes. And you don't really need to do anything when when it comes to substituting. So if you have the ability to test by, uh, you know, test for the potency afterwards, either using like an online calculator, like the one you might find on my website or using a T-check device, which I do recommend um, as a fantastic way to figure out the potency of your edibles if you're making them a lot. And then of course I would always recommend that because knowledge is power, but otherwise you would just use your, it's already decarbed. So you can just go straight to the infusion process and, and start infusing whatever it is that you want to be using in your recipes. Or as Ardent likes to talk about, they are, have been talking about the instant edible method. Now, with the Ardent, you do get probably more activation of the of the plant material because it is a precise cooking 
utensil specifically designed for decarb. So in that particular instance, the instant edible method might be a little more effective, but fuck it. You've already got all the decarbed material from your dry herb vaporizer experiment and have fun with it. Why not? You've got it. It's something that, you know, you've, you've already consumed it one way. Now you can consume it another way. And the instant edible method is just when they take some of that decarbed cannabis and sprinkle it right on whatever it is you might be eating. Works very well with stuff with a stronger flavor if you don't, if you're not a huge fan of, of um, the cannabis taste. But a lot of the times it lends itself very well to a lot of dishes and you can incorporate it directly into a recipe too. So don't discount that either. So I hope that answers your question, Susan. And that's it for this week, my friends. I have split this episode into two, as I mentioned, I think at the beginning that I might because it was getting pretty long. So look forward to episode number seven of the listener Q&A where I finish off with the questions because these are great questions that really deserve some in-depth answers. So I hope you got some value out of that and learned something new. And of course, I have learned so much about making edibles over the last few years, in no small part due to the guests that I've had on this show. So if I've linked to some of those in the show notes, please check those out, because they are some extremely knowledgeable people that I've learned a lot from, and you will too, if you check out those episodes. And of course, if you hear something in this episode, and you think you know somebody who might also enjoy it, please share word of mouth is the best way to grow a podcast and to bring new listeners on board fellow edibles enthusiasts who are also looking to explore the world of culinary cannabis and together we create this edibles army out there of people who are making safe effective amazing edibles at home so until next week my friends i hope you're experimenting in your kitchens you're enjoying delicious edibles until next week my friends stay high